Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. (laughs) Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Freel. I'm excited that you guys are here with us today. As you know, we're in this stage in our economy We're creating experiences and creating content really is one of the key ways to create relationships with your customers and the people that would be your customers. So we've got an excellent guest on the show here today who's written a book on the topic. I'm super excited to dive into a conversation with him. But before we get to Randy, you guys know that there's this British man with a beard who rides into the studio on a noble white steed. And I see him approaching right now. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, the one, the only, Mr. Dean Holland. Hey, there we go. How you doing, James? I'm good. You know what, though? It's always remarkable to me that even though you're riding in on a white horse, you never sound winded. No, right. And I'm kind of wondering if you're actually just bullshitting me about this white horse situation. No, no. I just generally uh, ride it side saddle, so I just tend to go with the flow. <laughs> Side saddle, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you've never even been on a horse. <laughs> well, actually, you laugh, and that you might even laugh further because this is just another story from my past. But uh, I happen to be raised by a mom who uh, all of her life has had horses and bred horses and been passionate about horses. So, in a former life, as a young child, I was actually a, a pretty good championship horse rider. Uh, Well, there you go. I stand corrected. Well, that shut you up, didn't it, sir? It really did. For the time being. I'm sure I'll come up with something else in just a minute or two. But we should welcome our guest to the show, expert on content experience and building relationships, Randy Frisch. Welcome to the show, man. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, guys. I'm excited for this one. Everything from the image on your guys' podcast logo to that entering intro bit, like I feel like I'm on a morning radio show. I still love it, you know, just despite podcasts, which are fantastic, and you know, music in general, which I'm I'm a Spotify junkie, but you know, I I still love morning shows on radio shows, and it, you guys have that dynamic. So I, I hope I can weave myself in smoothly here. <laughs> All right, we'll be the judge of that. We'll see how it goes. All right, yeah, the pressure's on. The pressure's on. It is that it is. So let's jump right into it. I think a lot of people talk about customer experience and they talk about creating stickiness in the relationship that they have with their customers, but you've got a really strong point of view on what it means to do that. Can you just kind of define for our listeners what you mean by actually creating content experience for people? Absolutely. I'm happy to do that, James. To do that, though, it almost helps for people tuning in to take a step back. And before we talk about content experience, 
we have to acknowledge this really important thing that came to be, you know, over decades, but really in the last 10 years into businesses. And I know a lot of your listeners are starting up their own business or running a small business in some cases. The importance of content and creating content is really the focus there. All of a sudden, in the last 10 years, a lot of us realize there's this term content marketing. And the idea was if we create great content, then people will come and they'll find us, right? And there's great companies like HubSpot who started the whole inbound movement and they taught us the importance that if we put great content out there, people will find us. And that's absolutely true to a point. And the point there is that when we think about content marketing, what we end up thinking about is how do we create all that content? You know, How do we create the next blog post, a really compelling video, or maybe even a podcast like this that we may be taking on to try and get people to want to know more about our company? And the problem there is as great as that all is, is that we over-associate that if we just create content, that people will be ready to buy from us. And it's also like the whole field of dreams thing, right? Like if you build it, they will come. And I don't think a lot of people have that experience. Like they're cranking out stuff and nobody's showing up. I use that analogy all the time. It's a great one. And to be honest, I think there was a point early on where if you built it, they would come because there wasn't that much noise out there. There's a great example. I, I mentioned HubSpot as an example. A, a guy I know named Marcus Sheridan, who was a great uh, spokesman on their behalf, talked about writing blog posts about fiberglass pools when his swimming pool business was going out of business. And doing so and answering the questions people cared about led to people finding him on the web before anyone else and calling him to do business with them. But the problem now is we all know that that's important. So you probably have 20 swimming pool people who are all optimizing for SEO, trying to be found and everything around that. The reality today as consumers is I believe our patience to go find this content is being decreased and our expectation for it just to simply be served to us is increasing. And, and we see that Obviously, you know, I'll get to how we see that in business, but in, in our consumer lives, think about the experiences that we all have on Netflix, right? We log into Netflix and we don't have to go search by genre anymore. The first line is, here's content that's recommended for us, right? Same thing on Spotify, where a lot of people are probably listening to this podcast on Spotify. Don't stop the podcast, but go to the home button of your Spotify app. And there's the most powerful words ever, I think, there. It's, it'll say made for you. So mine will say made for Randy. James, yours will say made for James. Dean, we get the idea. And that is the expectation we have as consumers. So what we have to do is get away from just creating content, right? Whether it's an amazing episode like Stranger Things, a great podcast like Just the Tips, or the blog posts that you're writing in your company. And we have to get to the idea like, how do we make it feel like that content was handpicked and put in front of our audience? And that's where we start to transition from just content marketing or creating content to content experience, which is that experience that our audience will have. Can you take a step back? Where did all this start for you? Like, why is this the thing that you became passionate about? Great question. Fair question. The truth is, this is something I've been passionate about for quite some time. The idea of organizing content more for the audience around the way they're searching. But the degree of personalization that I started to realize only happened in the last few years. And there was actually a stat that I came across I know you said we can throw the explicit, we'll get very explicit here in a moment, but you know, it scared the shit out of me on day one, which was 
if everyone's familiar with Forrester, they have a group called Serious Decisions under them that helps business owners, like a lot of the people listening to this, understand how to focus their business. The stat that they threw out there was that 70% of the content that we go and create never gets used, right? So we slave over this content and that's not easy, right? Creating a great blog post, creating an ebook, whatever you're creating, that takes time, that takes skill. We've even gone and hired people whose job titles are content marketer inside of our organization to go do this. I mean, you know, that wasn't easy to go and get those budgets or those headcounts to exist. We go and do all that, but then we find out that 70% of that never sees the light of day. Now, I questioned that number myself when I saw it. I actually reached out to the the person who wrote our report and I said, like, what do you mean like 70% doesn't get used? Like, you know, most marketers will tell you like they post all that content to their website, right? It, it's living there. And this the, the author said to me, no, 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 that's not using content. No one's going to go find that content, which comes back to the point we were hitting on before. People aren't searching for your content the way you'd hope. We have to greet them with that content. And the example that I always think about that is thinking about something as simple as how Google works. Now, I'm not going to get into the technical of it. I'm going to get into how do we actually use Google ourselves on an everyday basis right now. Now, do either of you have a Google Home or an Alexa at your place? I, I've got like six of them. Have you guys got those? Yeah, sure. Okay. So when we go to a, a Google device, and let's not have a business challenge here. If I need to know how to make poached eggs, because I can never remember how many minutes it takes to cook, I go to my Google Home and I say, hey, Google, how do I make poached eggs? And what Google's doing in that moment is they are delivering to me the result for the first search term. Right. And that's a huge shift that we're seeing is it used to be enough to be on page one of results, but now we got to be that first result if we're going to be found. And that really is changing the dynamic because, you know, that old joke of the best place to hide anything is page two of Google results. It's now almost result number two. And we're going to continue to expect that that content to be served to us. I mean, like on Netflix, I don't go deep into search anymore. I really just take Netflix's advice of what it is that I need to find. So back to this 70% stat, if we throw a blog post on the sixth page of our blog, once you continue to scroll, what are the chances that someone's going to go find that? It's really low, right? We have to make sure that if that asset on page six is the first one they should read, we got to make sure that that's the first result or even on the homepage or that we email it to them or we link to it from an ad. You get the idea here. So how do you tailor that towards specific people who might have specific interests? Because you use the Netflix example and they've got massive budgets for algorithms and stuff to figure out what people want. But for the average person, how do you put in front of them what you think they actually want to see? It's a very good question. I brought up Spotify before, which I, I've always routed for Spotify. I, actually, I used to think that they were kind of the uh, the David trying to beat Goliath, if you will, where iTunes would have been Goliath. But they now have more paid subscribers than iTunes has. They have something like 106 million paid subscribers to their subscription platform. And the way they're accomplishing that is to deliver us this personalized experience. And a lot of people say, oh, well, they must have this amazing algorithm that just makes it all possible. Yes, they do have algorithms, but this is like a true thing that I did some research on is that they actually have real people, like humans like the three of us 
who sit there and tag and organize all the music so that their algorithms can take that information, that organization, and put it in front of each of us so that we get that daily playlist. That's the same thing that we need to do as marketers. I think so many of us kind of take the approach, well, okay, I want to personalize to this audience. So let me look through the, you know, the last 500 pieces of content that I created and figure out which assets will work. That takes time. And the more we have to personalize to different segments, depending on who you're marketing to, that could be a persona. I'm not going to go into depth in terms of what is a persona. I'm going to assume people understand like who are your buyers, could be verticals. It could even get down to the idea of the actual accounts that you're trying to engage if you're investing in more of what's known as account-based marketing today. And regardless of those different approaches, if we need to start to scale personalization to the same way that Spotify is delivering 106 million daily playlists, if we're going to do that, we need to start before anything with taking the time to, I refer to it as centralizing and then organizing that content, which is not the sexy part of marketing. Like none of us like to do that. We like to just create more content and, you know, share it out to the world. But if we really take time to, to have index to what we have, it allows us to get to the point of personalization. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think Dean gets pretty turned on by centralizing and organizing things. Isn't that right, Dean? I mean, I will often spend most of my days just doing that now. There you go. Dean just got like a hundred job offers. <laughs> he's that one guy. <laughs> yeah. But once they hear him, those job offers will be rescinded pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, everything you're just saying there, Randy, makes perfect sense. But I would imagine there's also like a huge responsibility going this path to actually get it right in this sense then. And like having to be really careful that you do serve the right stuff to the right people. Like the amount of times, for example, like I, I can definitely say that, you know, you mentioned um, the example of Netflix, like the amount of times I've gone with their recommendations and I'm like, this thing sucks. So I'd imagine you have to be kind of careful of that as well, don't you? Definitely. I mean, listen, it's, it's same thing when I go onto Amazon and and I buy something and half the shit they're suggesting that I buy has you know zero relevance, right? Just because I bought a new spatula doesn't mean that I need pasta right now, right? Sometimes these recommendations are a little too basic. The way I like to think about it, I mean, hopefully this gives marketers hope that we still have a purpose beyond the machines that we're powering. Is you know marketing still has to be a balance of art and science. The science piece are those data points that we can leverage, the AI factor that starts to be brought in. And you know, on a daily basis, I work at a company called Uberflip, which is a company that I started. A big part of what we do is make it possible to bring in intelligence to deliver the right content, but we don't get it right. And that's where, depending on the segmentation that you have, you know, you're going to need to take time to pick the right pieces of content sometimes. I'll give you a great example. Like it's not something that, that I'm doing. It's this marketer I know. There's this company that's growing like crazy. They're called Snowflake. I think they're like worth $10 billion now or something like that. And it only started in the last decade or so. And they're not in a sexy you know, space or anything like that. It's like data warehousing. But what they do is they actually build these dedicated pages of content for specific accounts. So if they wanted to sell to Pepsi, 
they would build a page of content that had Pepsi's logo on it. So all of a sudden it starts to feel a little personalized. But then they pick pieces of content that appeal to the business line that Pepsi's in, consumer goods, beverage industry, content that they have that fits to that, which they're able to find quickly from that centralization and organization stage. But then they take the time to put a little thought to personalizing that. They started off when they did this, they did it for like 10 different customer accounts that they were going after. And once they started to see that engagement, they were able to scale it. That scale eventually went to 100 and then 750. Last I spoke to them, they had done this for over 2,000 accounts. Now for them, that makes sense to spend that extra time. It's not that many accounts, even though it feels like a lot, because they have a very high price point. You know, if your price that you're charging in the market is lower, then obviously we need to let the AI or the science outweigh the art a little bit. So you talk in your book about a content experience framework. Is that designed to like help you actually take all your content that you have and figure out how to do what you're talking about with it and make it relevant and personalized and everything else? Or is that something different? So we've already actually made it about like 40% through, maybe even more now, through that framework just in our conversation here. You're saying we're past the tips at this point. We are past the tips. We are into the meat of this thing. And maybe the most important part, like I always say to people, like I'm a creative guy. I'm not like, you know, as we've described Dean, the guy who's all centralized and organized. (laughs) Which actually is not even true necessarily. I was going with it because, you know, everything about him in terms of, you know, his experience, you know, growing up with horses, you'd have to be on top of your thing. But (laughs) I don't know, Dean, do you want to comment on that? Do you feel like you're a centralized and organized person or are we misrepresenting you? No, I feel like I'm being served up in the correct category there. (laughs) Okay, good enough. Those are the first two steps of the framework. It's a five-step framework. The first two we've hit on here is the the centralization and the, and the organization. And you know, just a, a last idea to arm people, you know, little tip if you will, for people to go and and action is, you know, don't get overwhelmed of this idea of organization, right? I mean, this that's what my company does at Uberflip. We we give tools to do that, but you know, start with something as basic as a spreadsheet that has all of your content sitting in rows. You know, the columns can be things like the date published, but also have in their tags. And those tags can be different things. It can be, you could have uh, you know tags that are more for tied to SEO, like what are people searching for? So I would refer to those as external tags, but also have tags that are internal. Like what are you looking for when you're trying to engage a customer? Or what are your sales reps looking for when they're trying to engage the customer? So we here will, on my team, will actually tag content by the Salesforce, which is our CRM opportunity stage. So if something stuck at 60%, our team knows to look for 60% tags and that's the right content that they may want to use. Because that might be the content that gets people over that hump and onto the next stage. Exactly, exactly. And once you've got all this content centralized and organized, then we can start to do the personalization. That's the approach that this gentleman, Daniel, who I described at Snowflake, he was able to do for 2000 accounts, but there's no way he could have done that had he not invested that time ahead to bring all those content assets together, to make sure he understands what he has. You know, one of the things I remind business owners is think about the people on your team and how quickly you're adding people to your team or sometimes sadly losing people to your team. So you may have a great piece of content created six months ago 
but someone new on your team may only be there three months ago. If you haven't organized that content, what's the chance they can go back and even find it and put it into these personalized experiences? So that's kind of like, you know, we're now 60% of the way. The last two steps is really where we start to go to market, how we start to engage with our audience. And we do that, all marketers, it's a distribution game. It's how do I get eyeballs? How do I get attention? How do I get in front of my audience? And to do that, we end up you know, investing a lot in distribution channels. For some of the, us, that may be email. It could be ads that we're doing and digital ads. It could be direct mail. It could be social engagement. There's so many different channels, if you will, that we will distribute. But the key is that when we distribute into those, now we link them back to these personalized experiences. And if we do that, rather than sending out that email that links to one great piece of content, but then what? Now we link them to the point where they end up binging on this content, right? No different than when, you know, any of us go onto Netflix, as we said, and, you know, you open up Stranger Things and you're done the entire season in a Saturday afternoon. So it really does all start with this whole, the foundation of organizing everything in the first place, because it really can't be done if you're not doing that in the first place. Absolutely. You know what's jumping out for me that I love with this? I think we'd be blind to ignore the fact that there is a lot of stuff out there now, a lot of platforms and things that encourage the creation of content that is gone after 24 hours, right? It's like, and you you see so many people pour so much time, energy, effort into serving up content on these platforms, which yes, obviously has a purpose. But what I love about your whole approach and everything we're talking about here is how you're not just creating something for the use of it disappearing or not even just creating a piece of content that's going to be seen or used once, maybe by a small number of people, but we're actually creating stuff with the purpose of that, then serving your business, your clients, your customers on a long-term basis. This to me is just like super smart. I love this. Yeah. Cause you're like, actually you're building an asset instead of just, you know, kind of spinning your wheels. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I like to think about it. You're building a journey. We're building a path. You're thinking about what that path is going to look like. And when we start to do that, that is, I mean, Dean, you just hit on the fifth step there, which is all about generating results. Yeah, it's not necessarily done at the end, but it all comes together as long as we're doing these four things. We talked at the, at the beginning of the podcast about this term that set us down to the need to focus on experience, which is content marketing. And my favorite definition of content marketing comes from naturally the guys at Content Marketing Institute. So Joe and Robert there started that business a number of years back. And the definition they had was fantastic. It's this idea of creating and distributing, note they talk about both, not just creating, valuable, relevant, and consistent content. And it's a meaty definition, but if you actually get all the way to the end of their definition, it's to drive profitable customer action, right? So it's not just to delight them in that moment. It's to engage them to the point that they come to your site and they spend more. And the problem is you hit on is sometimes we're just so focused on entertaining our audience on a channel that we don't own. You know, one of the examples I often give and talk about in some of my talks out there is, is YouTube. You know, just to be clear, I, I'm not anti-YouTube. I think YouTube's a really powerful channel, but YouTube's also a very challenging channel in that what YouTube does is they'll serve your video if it's posted there, but their algorithm is designed just to keep you on YouTube. So the next piece of content they show you could be your competitors, it could be a third-party review, 
Or it could all of a sudden be some like Dora the Explorer video because your kids were watching YouTube, right? Like it's it's a really scary place, YouTube, at the end of the day. You end up down this funnel where you don't remember what you came there for. So what we have to think about, back to this idea of generating results, is what is that call to action? What do we want people to do if they consume our content? Perhaps it's consume another piece of content we have. So let's line up that next piece. Perhaps it's speak to our sales team. Perhaps it's request a demo if we're more of an online trial or even buy if we're an e-commerce type of place. So there's a lot of things that we have to think about. You know, one of the things I like to point out is that this idea of content should not always live as a responsibility with your content marketer, right? They're great at creating content, but the ownership of content is really more of a strategic decision often tied to demand generation marketers, digital marketers, and even up to the CEO. That's a really interesting point. Drill into a little bit. You said, you know, putting all of your efforts into channels that you don't own, right? Like YouTube and other things like that. What are you seeing that's working well? Are you, are you saying that content on your own site and everything is where you should be focusing most of your efforts or what's the right mix of where the content goes as far as the distribution is concerned? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So you're full of those good questions today, aren't you? What's going on over there? <laughs> he's, he's loaded. Yeah, I don't know. It must be something in the water today. <laughs> so it, it is a great question because it's not as simple as expecting everyone's just going to come to our website, right? And be ready to buy from us. So we got to be mindful of that. I think the important note to take away with this idea of when to use a third-party channel like a LinkedIn, a YouTube, an Instagram, a Facebook, you get the idea. Definitely, we should be on those if our customers are on them, right? Now, the first step is where are our customers? If they're on there, great. But then we need that strong call to action to bring them back so that we can start to nurture them. Now, that's where we start to get into the complexities of you know, making sure that we know who our audience is, gathering information about them, contact details, their journey, and how we can continue to engage them. But once we do... To me, like, I don't want to send them back to YouTube, right? I may want to retarget them there to remind them about me, but I'm not going to link an email to YouTube. I'm going to link from email to my website because I'm in more control. I wrote a blog post about this like probably five years ago. The headline was, why do we send our inbound leads outbound? And it's this idea that we spend so much money to get someone to our site. And then we, you know, so many of us are guilty of, of this top right corner of our site. I call it the social bar of death. It's like, you know, follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, whatever we're on. As soon as they click that, you've lost them again. So once we get them on our site or once we get them into an experience that we own, we should continue to own that experience. And the more we do, the more data we can gain on them as well, which I, I think Dean was hitting on earlier. The more we understand that, the better we can nurture them. Right. Yeah, for sure. I just want to clarify something. What would be the best path here? Is it that you have this customer journey, this process you want to take people through, and you really do that organization step to go back through all former content you've ever created to see if that can be used and purposed throughout taking that customer experience? Or is it a valid approach or the better approach that once you understand the experience and the path you want to lead people, that you go out then and create the content specific for that? What's the like the best approach here? 
Yeah, you just hit on like on a really tricky debate. The reality is I as I tell people is this framework is not about how to create content. But at the same time, it actually often will reveal some of the glaring holes in your buyer journey. So one of the things that I see a lot of marketers doing these days is, and there's different terminology thrown around for this, but the, the one that I often lean to is the idea of build a journey map, understand what that path looks like. So think about it this way. You know, if you were creating a simple table in a spreadsheet right now as a marketer uh, or on a, on a napkin as you're listening to this, at the top, you could have the stages of your buyer journey, right? And you know, very generic ones, awareness, engagement, decision-making, purchase, advocacy, etc. And then along the different rows, you would start to have the different buyers, Keep in mind, for a lot of us, it's not as simple as a single buyer unless we're you know, selling a consumer product. There's a lot of people who are influencing the purchase. So you start to now understand this, see this matrix. And then what we start to do is think about, okay, well, what content do I actually need at different stages? Because we may find that we've created a shitload of content all at the awareness stage, but then big shocker when our deals aren't progressing past opportunity stage or past awareness. You know, if we don't have content to continue to nurture that, things are going to stall. So what we have to do is think that way. And then to your point, Dean, instantly we start to see that this responsibility of mapping out the buyer journey allows us to go to our content team and say, listen, here's where I need you to focus your efforts right now. You write amazing, catchy top 10 lists to get people in the door, but I need some more meaty stuff to help our sales reps close the deals. The reason I just asked that question is like, without calling it the same things you're calling it, we've been going through a similar process with ourselves. You know, we've we've noticed that, oh, you know, we bring people in, so we create great ads and content. We're converting people into, you know, new custom. And we've just been looking through, like, we see that we get people applying for our program, for example, and that generally happens in the first 10 days of them, you know, ordering a book from us. But then we notice that we don't tend to convert people too well after that stage. And this is exactly what we've been looking at is like, well, what is the experience? What are these people seeing? And what's happening with that other 90% of people? That's why I asked, because I'm asking this question in my head at the moment is, where do I need to create something? Where's the hole? And so this has been a great personal conversation. So thank you. It's a tricky part, right? Because there's a lot of channels. We're on one right now that is really hard to leverage, right? Podcasts. You know, the problem with podcasts is people love them. You know, you talk to marketers and a lot of time I'm out speaking at events and people will tell me that they heard me on a podcast or they listened to my podcast. So it's great. I, I hear that it's working, but none of us can get the subscription lists from Apple and Stitcher and all the, all the companies. So we're in the dark. And there's other channels where that's very much the same, where it's very hard to extract and understand what is working. So that's where, again, I encourage people to be really think about the call to action. If you're doing a podcast, as an example, using that, and you're producing that, or you're a guest on one, if you happen to you know, be lucky to be invited, then think about what your call to action is. Where do you want someone to go to, right? So for me, you know, we just talked about the content experience framework. I always have a very simple call to action. I want people to go to one of two places. You know, if they just want to download that framework, they can go to uberflip.com slash CE as in content experience. Now, if they want, you know, to read more about this, then I've got my book, which is 
b-rand.com, which is like spelled like brand, or they can just go to Amazon. But by giving those call to actions and then within those next assets, I have to have more call to actions where I eventually get them to trust me and be willing to give the contact details. I would say that was a pretty smooth call to action right there too. Wouldn't you say so, Dean? Seamless. Very seamless. Obviously you practice what you preach, Randy. I like that. There's a fascinating conversation. And I love the idea of thinking about the entire framework at a high level and then building the content to fit into that framework, as opposed to just constantly churning out content. For me, that feels very, I, I can't. You could turn that into a system, James. That's why you like it, my friend. I love frameworks, right? Because they help keep everything together. And then you know why you're doing something and how it fits in. So personally, I thought that was super valuable. Is that the best place for people to check you out then? Uh, Randy, uberflip.com? Yeah, uberflip.com, you'll see a lot about uh, how do you execute at scale on the framework we walk through. If you're not yet ready to invest in technology, which I always say is really the third thing people should invest in. A lot of us have heard people process tech. I always say good people first, then get a process. And when that process is going to break, it's it's ready to leverage technology. So you know, if they're not ready for technology, they can follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot there or uh, grab the book again on Amazon. The book, I don't even think we dropped the F-bomb yet, but the book is The Little Brash. It's called Fuck Content Marketing, Focus on Content Experience. <laughs> Good. Well, how do you really feel about it? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here, Randy. I appreciate it. Dean, anything that you want to add before we wrap up today? No, no, other than just to say thank you. I think this is one of those areas we just could continue unpacking. I'm geeking out right now on like customer experience and the path that I'm sending them through. I'm all in on this. So yeah, I'm, I can't wait to read the book and I'm sure I'm going to listen back to this episode myself. So thanks, Randy. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. We appreciate you. Make sure you leave us a review. Tell your friends and family about us. And we will talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamespfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.